Welcome to We Chat Divorce, hosted by Karen Chalou, Legal Liaison, and Katherine Shanahan, CDFA. Each episode, we sit down with divorce professionals and industry experts to provide insights and frank discussions about real people, real situations, and real divorce to help you achieve your best life post-divorce. This episode of We Chat Divorce is brought to you by My Divorce Solution, offering divorce financial planning so clients can secure the divorce settlement they deserve. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to request access. Welcome to WeChat Divorce. Catherine and I welcome Lisa Johnson, co-founder of Been There, Got Out for our episode today. And we're going to be discussing navigating legal representation and high conflict divorces, how to stay sane and smart. In this episode, we're going to discuss forms of legal abuse and what you can do about it. But first, let's meet Lisa. As co-founder of Been There, Got Out, I love that name, by the way, Lisa is a high-conflict divorce coach and certified domestic violence advocate who has successfully represented herself through scores of court appearances. Her case, published in the Connecticut Law Journal, is being used as legal precedent. Her live testimony helped pass Jennifer's Law in Connecticut, the third state in America, to explain its legal definition of domestic violence to include coercive control. She and her partner, Chris, the male half have been there, got out, coach people in high-conflict relationships, divorce, custody battles, and co-parenting hell, so they have the chance of the best outcome in family court and beyond. They also offer a weekly legal abuse support group for those dealing with narcissistic opponents in legal matters. Their book, Been There, Got Out, Toxic Relationships, High-Conflict Divorce, and How to Stay Sane Under Insane Circumstances was just released in March of 2023. Wow. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're so glad. So I typically like to start out with you sharing a bit of your story. And, and obviously, you have a great story to tell. Um, let's let's tell the audience about your experience and how, um, you know, Jennifer's Law came to be. Okay. So I'll just, I'll skip ahead from the the old stuff and get more to the recent stuff. I was with my ex-husband for almost 20 years, and I never thought that we would get a divorce. And in the last couple of years, I found out that he had been living a double life and slowly plotted my exit thinking, I don't know how I'm going to afford $10,000 for a divorce, which ended up taking a year and costing $100,000, not including the subsequent years that I've remained in court, just trying to get him to comply with our court orders, which were an agreement. So uh, the divorce started. I thought we both finally decided to do this. Um, it's going to be amicable. And I met with an attorney and the attorney was a lovely person who became my best friend for the next year who said, yours is going to be one of the bad ones. And I thought, what? Like, what is he talking about? And how could he tell that in 20 minutes? And sure enough, it was. And it took the full year because my state of Connecticut does set uh, basically a trial date a year from when someone files, which is a good thing to have that deadline. And it just went on and on and on. And later I went back and interviewed my attorney. And that's some of the content, our book of like how to tell when you are in for one of these difficult um, separations or divorces. 
So we got the divorce done within a year. I thought, I can't wait till the divorce is done because then I can have peace in my life. But no, just like all of our clients in our community, that was just part one. And part two is what's called post-separation abuse. And for me, and for at least 80,000 people in America, it's when somebody does what's called legal abuse or litigation abuse. It's also called judicial terrorism, paper abuse, or stalking through the courts. And so because my ex did not comply with our court orders, I had to return to court for years and years and dozens of court appearances to try to get enforcement on that original agreement. So after the initial divorce, and by the way, I had no idea what domestic violence was. I thought it was battered women who go to a shelter and live there. And I never considered um, that I was one of those people because I thought, well, there was just a little bit of physical abuse and that didn't count. And I, things never made sense. And certainly um, back in 2013, 2015, there wasn't as much awareness about um, narcissism and personality disorders. So I didn't really know what I was dealing with, but I did realize like for some reason, mine is very different from everyone else. Like most people move on. Like mine just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse and it doesn't make any sense. And so um, Chris and I had met at that time we um, realized we both had very similar exes on different ends of whatever spectrum that might be. And we started um, thinking about writing a book about our experiences, trying to extricate ourselves from these relationships. And um, I had done a book back in 2000, my first book, which had nothing to do with this. It was about backpacking through Europe as a rite of passage. But with the second book, they said, no, now there's social media. So you need to start you need to start getting your story out there and becoming an expert in this field. So I started our platform on Instagram in the beginning by documenting some things that were happening in my court situation. And then um, it just continued. And then we started thinking, oh, we need to do something more with this. Um, a couple other things we decided to try. And then we honed in on legal abuse. We started a legal abuse support group because I, in December of 2020, I was like, this is, this is insane. Like, I can't believe I'm maybe at that time it was six or seven years in the court system. Um, so I had met other, a couple of other people and I thought I, I need to do something. So we started this legal abuse support group and I thought if we can get two people, that would be amazing. And we got 12 the first week from all over the world. And I thought, okay, I'm onto something here. And then Chris got a certification as a high conflict divorce coach. And then we hung out our shingle on Instagram and it's kind of blown up since then because um, I've continued doing really well in court and I've been representing myself for the last six years. And like you said, my case is case law, which is very unusual for a self-represented litigant. So I'm really, really proud of that. And I'm, I just got my latest round of excellent orders. Um, and it happened to be coincidentally from the same judge who was the Jennifer's law judge. Wow. So that was like a very bizarre um, turn of events. And I am so thrilled because I feel like I had the opportunity to talk to someone that not just a regular judge, but like a, a major judge in my state. And I think that um, that I really got through to her. And I, I do believe that she's going to see some of these cases differently based on um, some of the things I asked for that she awarded me. So 
there's more to it, but that's the basic story. That so that basic story has a lot of questions coming from me. <laughs> okay, good. Love it. You know, and I, I and and so many different angles. And congratulations to you for your yeah. perseverance, most of most importantly, and and probably the belief in yourself and the investment you put into yourself. Um, oh, it was not easy. I mean, I had a lot of support on the way. Yeah, yeah. So I want to take you back to the the consult with your attorney and the first 20 minutes, your attorney saying you are going to be a crazy case or a long case or whatever they said. What what and you went back and interviewed them. What was the telltale sign of that? Okay, so there's a few factors. I'll just get into a couple of them because you can read our book to find out more. Um, okay. but, but one of the first things he said was um, unaddressed addiction. So when you are separating from somebody who is actively an addict, I'm not talking about someone in recovery because we know those people are heroes, but somebody that has not addressed their addiction um, cannot, they don't have good judgment and they don't think of consequences and they can't even act in their own best interest. So when you're dealing with someone who's an addict in the divorce process, they're not going to be thinking about what's best for the family, what's best for the kids, what's best financially. They're just doing whatever they think of at the moment. And so that makes things very, very difficult because they're completely irrational. Um, right. Same kind of thing with somebody who's mentally ill. Mm -hmm. And with the people that we work with, we're not, we always say we're not therapists, we don't diagnose. But um, based on what we see over and over and over, I'll just say like narcissistic types, in the legal system, people who have a personality disorder are not really interested in um, resolution. They are interested in destroying you. And so uh, we might get into some of the reasons why these kinds of divorces are, are different from regular divorces, but they're interested in destroying you and they don't really care who else gets harmed in the process, especially your kids and your bank accounts. Speaking of bank accounts, money is a huge uh, red flag. And for what my lawyer told me at the time, and by the way, his name is Eric Cosmentier. He's in Connecticut. He said that when somebody hides assets, that's going to be a problem. And we know, and I know a lot, um, that my ex felt like, I always use the quote, like, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine too. And so he had, it's not that he just hid assets when the divorce process started, it, he had been hiding them the entire time. He owned rental properties with his sister. He had mail going to different addresses. He was kind of like, well, this is mine. And my salary is going to be for retirement that we're going to share, but your money can pay all the household bills. And of course, that's not what happened. Um, and also with hiding assets, we tried to do mediation and he would show up at every session with a blank legal pad and say, ah, you know what I make. We don't need to get into this. Just trust me. And so that made it really, really hard. Um, and part of that too, it was that sense of entitlement that he, and, and it's not just men clearly, but whoever is on the other side, they tend to feel like they deserve more or they deserve everything and that you're nothing. No matter what you did, if you were an at-home parent, if you were a successful business person, doesn't matter. They deserve more and they should be the one to dictate what you are getting in this process. So that makes things high conflict. Yeah. And I think if you're listening and you feel like you're resonating with this story, and believe me personally, I resonated with myself, except for I had a financial backing because that's my training, right? It, it's that you have to really learn to invest in yourself and say that whatever they're saying 
there's probably very little truth to that. And that's what I love about, you know, when somebody gets their financial portrait, where they start seeing that this is their marital estate. And even though your spouse may saying that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. We get to put it out there in detail that now you start shifting the way you're looking at this data because we take that emotion and turn it into the data. And I think having that financial awareness is the best way to combat that type of behavior. One um, percent of the cases get to court because, as you know, it costs you a hundred thousand dollars or more, right? So a lot of people cave before that moment, uh, well before that moment, which is unfortunate um, in some cases, but. If you don't have a financial awareness of what going to the end looks like or what settling could look like, it makes the process that much more difficult emotionally and financially. So people need to get aware. They need to be aware of what the outcome could look like or what settling could look like before they actually do. Because people do walk into a room with and their, their uh, counterpart has no information. The one that holds the information brings no information. And so we're always wondering, why are you even going to that? Why are you paying your attorney $5,000 to go to that meeting when you know that's going to happen? Right. So, and so you, you need to have a good attorney who will let you not show up at those as well. Right. And what you talked about is, is very similar to what we deal with all the time is it's that a victim often allows that other person's voice to, to stay in their head. It's like, they haven't realized, but they've given a lot of authority to that other person. And so they think what they tell me is true. And so it's very hard for us and also for you to, with the clients that you work with who are convinced that what their ex is saying is true. And that's why they need resources like us to be like, no, we're going to remind you of the truth. And for you, you can say it's right here on paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what you do is really important because we could show them in paper, but they still go home and get the same badgering whether it's through text messaging, social media, or however they get it. So to have you as a resource to go to and say, wait a minute, you're with the, you know, millions of other people who are thinking this too, but let's, let's talk about that or let us share this information with you. It's a great reinforcement to why you should be getting what's rightfully yours. And first and foremost, you need the financial knowledge so you can work on the other part of it. Um, right. Because and that's scary. Slowly, right. Get that, that head, that voice out of your head. So Lisa, I'm curious, um, did your attorney take the approach of that you're entitled to half of the assets? Because I, my experience with a lot of attorneys are when they see a situation like yours, well, we can chase that all day long, but we're never going to get anywhere. Let's just get, you know, get a settlement and get out um, the best we can. Like, so it sounds like your attorney was a little bit more, pro, uh, maybe a lot more proactive than that. But we don't really experience that with a lot of clients that we work with. It's it's a lot of work to get the attorneys to engage with uh, the real work of identifying assets and supporting them. It, it was really tricky because... Um, the parenting plan, because we had two kids, we, he and I, my ex and I did that alone in mediation, which was amazing. And my attorney was very proud of me for that. But regarding the money, my, my ex owned all kinds of property with his sister. And then he has the same name as his father, who was um, enabling and supporting his behavior and deceit. And so my lawyer's goal was to get me out of the legal system. He didn't want us to go to trial. 
I had done mediation, like I said, by myself. My lawyer said it was a good idea for me to go in by myself because we had gone through plans and ideas together. So I was thoroughly prepared, which unfortunately many people are not when they go to mediation, but I was yeah. very confident and I went in and I, I got what I needed to get. Um, but in terms of the assets, my lawyer, because ours went on so long and the bills got so high, um, my lawyer said, let's think about what what matters to you. Like we could probably get you more in terms of assets if we go to trial, but just understand that that's probably going to be another minimum $50,000 retainer and it's going to take another year. Do you want to spend the next year of your life in the muck or do you want to take the money that you would have invested in me to take a chance at trial because you never know what a judge is actually going to do and just we'll come to something that seems reasonable and then get out. And I chose, like, I, I, I feel like my financial settlement was okay. Um, somehow we worked it out. So it wasn't really about what I was entitled to. It was what I could live with and feel comfortable making a decision with. And, and that's what I did. So he, I didn't fight him for his properties. I said, you know, let us, me and the kids stay in the, the house and you take everything else. So I wasn't really comparing like, oh, he gets more than I do. It was like, got a roof over my head. I've got a really good parenting plan. I've got a good um, alimony and child support situation. Uh, I had to go back for the college stuff, which is what's kept us in court all this long. And finally, I did get something really favorable to me. Um, but I, I think it's really making a decision with the information you have. And because my ex took so long with discovery and it was costing me so much money, I, I felt like what my lawyer did was was fair by saying, this is what we're dealing with. This is how they're going to be if we go to trial. It's going to be a lot worse than this. And I just thought, I, I, I don't want it. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because I think if you're listening, this is really very important. And again, this is part of what when we're doing our portrait, because again, I think you're you're pretty much confirming that the attorney will point out, listen, we're not going to go after this if you don't want it. It's gonna, you're going to end up paying me to do this. And it could be years and, and what have you. I think I hear that being the same. What I think a lot of people are missing and I want to point out is that you had a clarity in the fact that you were giving up some assets. I bet you if you came through our process, we're going to point out probably more assets that you gave up that you really realized, but that's okay. Well, our, when, when you come through our process at MDS, we will show what's there, what's missing, or what you really need or what you want to move on. Because it's all about accepting what you need and want to move on with your life knowingly. It's knowing that and doing that. You knew that. So you knew you were pretty clear that you were giving up on these things, but you really wanted these things and you knew that it was going to work out for you and your children that way. What, what I, that's what we advocate for because all day long, if you know what's rightfully yours and you choose to give it away, that's your decision. It's your divorce. It's your decision. Or if you choose not to, it's your decision to go after that, right? It's not having somebody tell you that this is what you have to do, or this is what you're, you know, you're not giving up or you are giving up or leaving things out. And that's really important for post-divorce. That's why you're doing so well. You're thriving so well, you know, why you were able to do this on your own with the support that you had. And now you're helping millions of people is because when you rightfully know what's yours and you choose to give it away to get something, your maybe your B case scenario. I think I want to comment on that because I, I just realized I left something out that my lawyer did, which paved the way financially for me to go back. So in our agreement, 
there was a set amount that my ex produced and I was exhausted. You know, we'd gone on for a year and spent all this money. And so my lawyer knew I was exhausted, but he wanted to leave a door open for when I did go back to court because he said, you're going to go back to court. You're not going to be able to afford me. He's going to financially abuse you again. So I want you to go back by yourself, but let's get you ready ahead of time. So he put protective language in my agreement, which said, this is the amount that my ex had reported as his income. If it is ever determined that there has been additional income, that that would trigger a modification. And that's basically, you know, without getting to legalese, like that's what allowed me to go back on my own and to consistently win. Because when I did get my energy back, some time had passed since the divorce. It was like a year and a half or so. I had to go back for the college stuff for my kids. And I spoke to an attorney and they said, wait a second, there's fraud here because your ex never reported all these assets that you knew were there, but you, you left. So instead of going for a fraud case, why don't you go for a modification? And the language in my agreement already allowed that the way the certain, certain words are very um, important. Um, but anyway, so, so I was able to make a case on my own and I did get all the discovery, but because I wasn't paying a lawyer to come with me to court, like the nine times that it took before I can get complete discovery. And he was, I was just like, you know what? I can wait. I can wait. It's annoying. I don't understand why the court allows somebody to keep going and not comply, but I, I ended up prevailing. And I do feel, so even though I walked away from certain things at the time of divorce, the, the post-divorce dealing with everything myself, I feel like I saved well over a million dollars in legal fees. And I was able to expose the assets that were hidden at the time of the divorce. And that's why judge after judge saw that he had hidden the assets and was able to give me more favorable orders moving forward, even though they couldn't do it for the divorce because that was already over. So, so it wasn't just like leaving everything on the table. It was, he did, my lawyer did have a clause in there that allowed me to go back, but most people don't go back because they don't know they can. They think it's final. I'm done. I'm exhausted. But I was like, oh no, I'm going back. I'm just taking my time and figuring out what I need to have ready. I'm surprised you went back by yourself. Most people won't do that either. Yeah. Well, I was still, I'm still paying back my, my divorce loan bills and then mm -hmm. two kids in college. So I had to, <laughs> but you know, there's a huge percentage of people that are pro se, which is also called self-represented or pro per. So um, most of us have to do it because we just can't afford lawyers anymore. And with our clients, we often encourage uh, limited scope attorneys. Like for me, I always have attorneys that I'm speaking to, to make sure I'm doing things properly procedurally because I'm not an attorney, but I am comfortable uh, presenting and organizing my information. And I know how to write motions and things like that. Um, especially after all the years. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. So I think you've touched on this quite a bit, but I, I want to draw a line under it for the definition of what you're describing as legal abuse. Like what does it, that exactly look like? Okay. So legal abuse is basically when somebody is trying to weaponize the legal system to control harass, intimidate, um, coerce, or impoverish someone. So it's almost like when you're in the relationship, they can get at you day to day in all kinds of ways because you're living together. But when you're out, they're very limited. We always say it's money, kids in the court. 
and money in the court go hand in hand because it's so expensive to be in court. It's not just court costs, legal fees, but it's the money that you uh, can't make because you can't work. Like all of the times I've gone to court, I've spent hours and weeks preparing. So that's time and money is time. So that's really tricky. So legal abuse is generally, there's two ways that it happens. So in my situation, having to be forced to return to court to get someone to comply with legal orders, that should, that's not fair. Because again, like I'm the one suffering because I have to go back dozens and dozens of times over years to get enforcement on those orders. And one of the biggest problems in the family court system now is lack of enforcement. You have orders, but there's no consequences. There's no deadlines. And so that's something that I feel like I have gotten through to judges in two different states at this point where I said, without te- if I have orders without teeth, it means nothing. If my ex has been found in contempt three times, now five with this last round of orders, but there's no punishment, then you're basically emboldening someone to keep taking advantage. So my being forced to go back to court to com- for my ex to comply with an order, that's a form of legal f- abuse. Now, on the other side is something called vexatious litigation. And that's when someone files frivolous motions or motions without merit. So we see really, really commonly once somebody splits, especially if they have kids, the other person, the abuser will say, I'm going to go for full custody because that's your punishment. Like, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like that you moved on with your life. You're an unfit parent. You're an addict or mentally ill, whatever. So they will, so our clients, victims have this dread all the time. What are they going to do next? They're going to file another motion. And that person has to respond to these motions and spend thousands and thousands of dollars and hours and time going back to court. We were just on the phone with a client this morning in the UK. who was like, this is going to be another 10,000 pounds for nothing just because the ex wants to question a report that they didn't agree with from an evaluator. So that's that's really unfair. So that kind of vexatious litigation, to me, it's almost like a terrorist campaign because they will not leave you alone. And our people are already traumatized, but you get to the point where, like I know sometimes the mailbox, like the hearing them that there's mail or like going to the mailbox to check, I'd be like, what if it's, what if it's something new? Like, what if it's this or um, seeing people's names in my email, like anything from the court, anything from my ex's attorneys, it was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And even reading this last set of orders, which I happened to get while we were on vacation in Colombia, it was like beautiful. I knew it was going to be okay, but I just start shaking. And my mouth gets really dry. And it's like, I just, it's like that physical response. Like, what if it's something really bad? Because you're so used to like bad and what's going to happen and they're coming after me or something's going to flip and my luck's going to change. So legal abuse just consumes a person's life. And our clients are all dealing with extraordinary financial abuse and or um situations where their their kids are being harmed and they feel helpless or their kids are being taken away from them or they're just being harassed constantly through the co-parenting communication so um we you know we're really busy with that yeah 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 what are some of the what are some of the things that you spoke to these two state judges about being the teeth into the I totally agree with that there is no repercussion for them not to follow an order okay um, so, so um, the two states that my case is in are New York and Connecticut. And I, I always say I'm a New Yorker, but I happen to live right over the border in Connecticut. So in Connecticut, when an order is issued, there's no 
deadline. Like for a financial thing, it says, okay, so for example, in December 21 or so December 2018, my orders were issued and my ex was supposed to pay me a certain amount in arrearages plus part of an educational thing. He never paid it. So his lawyer started questioning, asking for um, uh, like hearing it again, hearing the motion again, um, appealing four times and then saying, well, we don't have to pay because we're appealing. And it was like, no, you do have to pay. They were told by the judges, you have to pay, but they didn't do anything to make him pay. All of the court papers say, if you do not comply with these orders, you might face this, this, this incarceration. I'd always ask for, but nothing happened. So my ex was just like getting away with it. And I'm sitting here going back to court again and again. I interviewed the head of the Judiciary Committee a few years ago in Connecticut. And um, his name is Matt Blumenthal. His father's actually Richard Blumenthal's uh, United States Senator. And I said, why does Connecticut not issue deadlines? So, and he said, because 95% of people obey the law. And I said, I get it, but 5% is a huge number. That's people like me that are stuck in court for years. And how are we supposed to get anywhere if there's no deadlines? So my big push with all of these judges, and it's so easy, give a deadline and a consequence. And that's why with this last round of orders with this judge, this particular judge, I had, I had given my closing, arg closing argument. I did invoke Jennifer's law, which is a little scary because she she's the Jennifer's law judge. Um, but I but I just said, if, if I don't have orders without teeth, you can't be, give me deadlines and consequences. So give me interest, get, like make him lose his license, do something. And she did. She Connecticut state interest is 6%. She slapped him with 10%. She slapped him with a cost per day of every day that it was late. Um, she found him in two more counts of contempt. And so instead of it taking four years, which it took to get those 2018 orders to finally get paid. And at that time, I did have a lot of pe penalties and interest that I'd gotten from, from New York state judges. Um, it took less than two weeks to get the full amount, which was a lot of money, like the final round. And my daughter's still in college, so we'll be back. But, but it was like, wow, that's the difference between four years and two weeks. There were deadlines and consequences, severe consequences. And the history of this person in the legal system, I just kept building on. So however frustrating it was, it was like, I'm establishing patterns of someone's behavior over time. I have mine out. My case is, is in the Connecticut Law Journal. My ex tried to sue us. I don't know if I told you guys this. He tried to sue Chris and I for $4 million in defamation last year. Mm -hmm. And I freaked out because I was like, oh no, this is civil court. Like it's a, And it happened to be the day the judge in New York ruled, you finally have to pay. Like, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't. So that was like, let's keep it going. So Chris and I thankfully were able to get it dismissed and spent instead of spending a thousand dollars an hour on a civil attorney because I don't I don't want to mess around with civil civil court um but but the more I, I felt like even if we did have to go to court I had at that point so much to show of my ex's behavior on public record it's like defamation like you've done this to yourself whatever <laughs> yeah. you've suffered like it's it's public like sorry you can't blame us you know, mm -hmm. so it's been such a pleasure to see karma finally happen with somebody that really thought I'm going to get away with things. I'm not going to pay. I'm just going to do what I want. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I can't make you be a good parent to our children, but the least that you can do is honor your financial obligation to our family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I know there's probably, I can imagine the feed that you're getting because there's so many people that probably wish that, that you can go and speak for them because it's really hard to do what you're doing. Um, you know, you make it sound not easy, but again, having you as a resource is really good if you're listening because um, you need that extra support or that extra, you can do this type of thing to stand up for yourself. And and I think it, it's for me, again, it's going to go back to you weren't going out there to be greedy or you weren't going out there to prove any certain point other than this is what I decided I need and I want and it's there. And I'm and going to stick to up it. for myself. Right. And he, he agreed, agreed to, to it. it. So why are we yeah. even here? <laughs> yeah. 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 And I'm sure that I'm, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but I'm with guess that he agreed to it because he fully believed it would never be enforced exactly. because he, nothing is, it doesn't sound like anything is ever enforced in his life. So I think that happens a lot. And when we're working with our clients, you know, to your point, like, let's get the agreement done and then enforce. And, and the, the tips that you bring to the table are really valuable for people when they realize that there is a pathway because, you know, while attorneys are saying, well, you, you know, are we going to spend all this money? And then they can't assure you that they're going to win. Right. And so yeah, they, they don't want want to to right. <laughs> and so, you know, they're tentative. They don't want to lose and, and, you know, fail you. So what are the resources that you provide to your, to your clients that come to help them through this? So great question, because you guys are now one of our resources, what I love doing. So let me back up a little bit. So our legal abuse support group, we have our clients in there and we have people who drop in from all over the place. And we always say that in that group, we strategize, we talk about the bigger issues, like how is my kid going to be okay with a parent like that? How do I co-parent with a really difficult person? But then there's questions that come up that us and the people in the group can't answer, even though they themselves, like our people in the group are excellent at finding resources and sharing resources. So I always say our content is driven by our clients. And so I love getting questions where I'm like, ooh, I got to find an expert on this to interview. So doing these interviews allows people to see all these different resources that we have, to know that there's people out there like you that we can send people to. And we actually just sent someone to you yesterday um, because it's like, if you know this, you can do better. And people realizing not only that they're listen to in a, in a support group. So that's a resource to our support group with you're surrounded by people who understand high conflict and that it's very different from normal divorce. So you don't need to explain yourself and feel like, oh my gosh, my situation is really crazy because everyone in there is dealing with crazy. And it's not just women, it's men and women dealing with these very difficult personality types. So that as a start, like getting into some kind of support, finding trauma informed professionals to work with, um, if you don't, sometimes people might just think that you're crazy because people who are traumatized talk really fast and tend to be confused and all over the place. So it's very helpful to have resources that that understand trauma and can at least make people feel heard. That's something we, we hear a lot from people. Um, even after we do our initial discovery calls, they're like, oh my gosh, I just felt heard. I felt like you guys really understood I think the first step is to find people that really understand your experience, but don't keep you cycling around how wrong it is and how unfair it is. And there's a lot of that 
out there too. You'll see on social media, people just go on and on and on about how broken the system is and, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose no matter what. And, you know, misogyny, like, yeah, okay, I get it. But as living proof of someone who is not rich and is a woman and represented herself, like, I, I feel like I'm a success story and people need role models of people who have gone through it and are still having a really good life. Like when people hear that I've been doing this for nine years and been to court like a hundred times, they're like, I, but I can't do that. I'm like, hopefully you won't because we're going to teach you what I learned along the way and what Chris learned, but also we can help you get into what we call the marathon mindset and understand that this is going to take longer than anyone imagines that it would. And that's not fair, but there's training involved and you can do it. And we will help you with our resources, uh, turn you into, turn it into background static. And then I also note how this is actually the happiest I've ever been in my life. When you get out of one of these relationships, you just tend to be so much more grateful for um, the wonderful things and people in your life. And I always say like, I wouldn't have met my partner, Chris, he's my business partner, but we're also a couple in real life for more than eight years. And that's, I feel like he's like the love of my life. And if I hadn't gone through all of this, I wouldn't have met him. We wouldn't have this, I wouldn't have this amazing career. Like I used to be a high school English teacher and I had to stop. Well, I didn't have to, I chose to stop when I had my first child. And then I thought I'd go back but then I was always in court. So I couldn't stop. I couldn't go back to regular teaching. And then COVID happened, which was horrible, but it actually worked out for us because it forced us to be creative. And now I can replicate my classroom on a much bigger level. And I have all these other triumphs behind me that I never imagined I would get. Like who, who thinks, oh, I want to <laughs> do great in court <laughs> like dozens of times. You know, so so I think um, connecting people to all kinds of resources, financial, mental health professionals, helping them learn how to choose the right attorney from the beginning, like ed helping to educate people is really, really important. So for people who are looking for resources, try to find the ones like pay attention to how they make you feel. Um, we had a client this morning that was talking about one particular online group that likes to do lots of um, horrifying stories about people's losses in family court and kids being taken away. And she said, this is, this scares me. Like this kind of stuff makes me feel worse. And so I said, personally, it's your choice, but I don't think you should be reading that stuff because you're already traumatized. This is not helpful. It's like people who are afraid of flying, reading about plane crashes. Like it's unlikely that this is going to happen to you. Let's focus on what you can do for yourself to get you through your own case. And then maybe later, you know, whatever, but, but that's, that stuff is not helpful. So again, people who have goals, who want to help you, who point out your own strengths. We love to, to remind people of like who they were before this all happened. And as they're going through it, be like, see, like your background as a special ed teacher, that's what make you so good at your job. Like you're going to be able to use your research background as you're putting your documentation together. Your writing background is going to serve you really effectively. Like for me, my teaching background, like I was really, really shy, but learning how to be an actress and going in and projecting confidence has paid off. And so we keep telling our clients, like, we can help teach you how to get these skills. And as they make that progress along the way, they also get to experience those triumphs, which 
bleed into their regular lives. Not It's not just a court thing. It's like in your whole life, you think, I didn't think I can do that. And then you keep doing things. And then you're also modeling that for your children, that yeah. you can go on with your lives. You can have a wonderful life. Everybody goes through rough times. And some of us, it's like really, really bad, but there's still the opportunity to grow and, um, you know, move forward. Well, you know, that's, you know, what's nice is that you take a somebody from a victim mentality to a survivor mentality, and that's how people will thrive. You know, when we talk about financials, a lot of people want to just keep their heads buried in the sand because they're too afraid if it has a number on it. And we start very simply by saying, if you see a piece of paper with numbers on it, just collect it. Right. And so now you're just getting comfortable by looking at a piece of paper that doesn't have so many words, but it has a lot of numbers on it and you don't have to understand it. Right. And then when you start learning just a little bit at a time, you don't focus on what you didn't do during your marriage financially and what responsibility financially you never were a part of. You start thinking, oh, this does have my name on it or my spouse's name on it. Oh, here's the account number. Oh, I see an account number. Oh, this is dollars. No, this is shares. Like you start learning little things along the way and you've become a little stronger. So, you know, we go all the way back and just start with your budgeting. You know, people don't know that you pay a water bill sometimes or how much all those Starbucks coffees really add up to, you know, and you, you, it's just part of your life. But when you start learning these little things, you stop feeling like such a victim of not being financially informed. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing here. So, yeah, you can ha hear a sad story or you can tell your story and feel that empathy from you. But then you're giving them tools to learn to move forward through that. And here's what we can teach you. It's really synonymous to what we're doing, basically, on the financial side, right? And, right. and you need that going through this kind of um, trauma. And divorce right. is difficult, you know. So we're just so happy to have you as a resource because there needs to be a place to try to positively move through a very negative situation. And it can yeah. be done. I mean, look at you right? It can be done. Yeah. You just reminded me. So I have a hashtag that a friend of mine came up with. It's from puddle to ninja. So you often say when people arrive on our doorstep, they're a mess and their other person's voice <laughs> in their head. And they're like, oh, we're, like we're going to get you to the point where you're going to start fighting back and you're going to, you're going to turn into a ninja. And one of our clients actually was describing a situation where she was doing an army crawl to go get something that belonged to her. And I said, you're an actual ninja. Like, hysterical. But the <laughs> other thing awesome. I wanted to mention that you said was about fear and people wanting to keep their heads in the sand, like fear will harm you. So we often point out to our clients that by reaching out for help, even just to talk to people like you or talk to people like me, that's the first step in conquering that fear and, and dealing with stuff that you're going to have to deal with. Because if you don't deal with it, it's going to harm you. It's going to be worse. People take advantage of your fear. That's what our clients' exes all do with the terrorist campaign is they think, if I keep scaring them and intimidating them, they're gonna, I'm going to coerce them into doing what I want. They already did that for so long. So if you want to start changing that dynamic, it's not like you have to take them on yourself. Just reach out to somebody that could help someone like you with the financials, someone like us with all the court stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's starting to educate yourself. And I think people need to be reminded just by starting to educate yourself, you are doing something, you're, you're taking a step in the right direction to conquer that fear, but it needs to happen. You can do it. If you're listening, you can do it. We have all the resources for you. So how do they find you? 
Oh, super easy. I mean, if you just Google been there, got out, like you can find our website. It's been there, got out.com on Instagram. We're at been there, got out with little underscores on YouTube, Twitter, oh, X, uh, LinkedIn, <laughs> Facebook, I think Pinterest, uh, anywhere, but really just go to the website, been there, got out.com. Um, if you want to talk to us, we do what's called a discovery call. You can talk to both Chris and I for about half an hour. And we figure we listen to what's going on and we come up with ways we might be able to help you moving forward. If you don't want to talk to us yet, which is totally fine. Um, our book, like we said, came out a few months ago. It's called, you said, been there, got out toxic relationships, high conflict, divorce, and how to stay sane under insane circumstances. The paper copy is available. The Kindle one is like $7.95 or something. And you anyone in the world can get it. And it's good because it's it's hidden. Chris and I are this week working on uh the mechanics of recording the audiobook. But um, I think it's good to just again like read things that you can relate to and again pay attention to how professionals make you feel. Someone doesn't feel right, go with your gut. There's enough other people out there. You know, don't go to people because someone else said that that's the best one because we've had, we've heard horror stories about I went to this therapist and how the therapist ended up damaging them. Oh, that's really good. That's a very good point. If you didn't hear that, that's very (laughs) important to hear. Go with your gut, how someone's making you feel Mm -hmm. um, and not by what somebody's recommending because it's really um, happening all over the place that people just don't know that they have choices and you do have choices. Right. And Absolutely. you don't want to repeat this, the cycle, that same toxic, toxic cycle of not trusting yourself and being like, well, but they did this for me or did it like you have to start uh, paying attention to your body and how you for me, it's my stomach. Like if somebody or I just feel like, you know, some just some repellent thing, like don't don't use them. It's OK. Like you don't need to go to the best whoever the recommendation, find someone that you have a good rapport with, because these kinds of relationships are intimate. Like we have intimate relationships with our clients because we talk about things they don't talk about with most people because most people don't understand money. People always talk about you're financially undressing. So (laughs) they need to feel comfortable with you, right? That is so true. That's excellent. Thank you so much for being with us, Lisa. So this concludes this episode on navigating legal representation in high-conflict divorces, how to stay sane and smart. And don't forget to go buy that book. Thank you so much again. Thank you and can't wait to meet you guys. If you're considering divorce, make sure to protect your wealth with divorce financial planning from My Divorce Solution. Our certified divorce experts will help you untangle your finances and understand your settlement options so you can negotiate your marital assets with confidence. Protect your financial estate with divorce financial planning. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to see if you qualify to work with our financial divorce experts. That's MyDivorceSolution.com for expert divorce financial planning. Thanks for joining us on another episode of We Chat Divorce. We hope this episode was informative and supportive on your divorce journey. If you're looking for more support for navigating divorce with confidence and clarity, head over to MyDivorceSolution.com for more podcast episodes, divorce events, and resources for your divorce. We'll see you back here for our next episode.